0: folks, welcome to the show, Exile Minds Podcast, me, Liam Martin, thanks for joining us. So today, ooh, 24th of December, or at least for me, Saturday 24th of December, 2022, four minutes past two, Mm. a.m., a a late night one for me, super duper late night, (laughs) but yeah, yeah, it's all good, I just want to drop a show before Christmas keep the momentum going and all that so yeah so today right got a show so i did a did a bit of a kind of christmasy show in a way about santa claus and it reminded me of um i had a show that i'd been sort of partially planning before i have these ideas got a bit of a list of uh shows that i thought might be good topics to, to cover sort of thing so yeah Little people got me thinking because I did the uh, sort of Santa Claus and the elves thing. So I thought, yeah, got the little people show. Thought I got a bit further than, than the elves because it went a particular direction with the elves. They talked the DMT elves and stuff. The Santa Claus show, the previous uh, went another direction still. So I thought, hey, you know, let's have a look. This is a little people's story. See us even in legends about that stuff, because of course I'm from Britain, got the fairy folk you know, garden gnomes and that kind of thing, so for, yeah, let's see, what's, see if that's a thing so for, the premise of this show today is, uh, yeah, let's have a look at um, the little people little people myths of mini-humanoids throughout the world is because is, there's kind of like lost chapters in history, I think I'm into ancient archaeology and stuff, I just think, yeah I reckon there's plenty of lost chapters plenty of evidence for it at least lost civilizations so I think, well, can't there be lost peoples then that was different to us back in the day perhaps been many iterations you know we've wiped out a lot of animals so it's like well maybe people have been wiped out got supplanted so yeah maybe they, some of these little people are for real or, or they were and that's the thing so i thought in today's show we'll explore that folklore surrounding the little people have a look at some of the legends commonplace throughout the world Turns out <laughs> so, so yeah, it is all over the world, and uh, yeah, I thought just take a journey look of discovery down a rabbit hole where one thought makes you big, one makes you small, you know. Going to see what's uh, see what's going on down there. So, is it a widespread notion? It does seem to be, but let's see how, how widespread it goes because no, so you got it in Britain, so you know, we'll see what are the tales telling us. The tails can give us a uh, Gives a bit of information about them, can't they? And sometimes, you know, the place name is is because of a story. I always think it's funny that you get so many places called, like, Devil's Creek or Devil's Pass or Devil's Canyon, and you think, eh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big don't go there sign. But yeah. yeah. Is there anything to indicate that some of this folklore might be based in something true? Is there some truth to any of this? so of I want to look at today. And is indeed there any evidence? So let's have a look then. Let's have a deep dive. So first up, let's get uh, let's get this article up. So article on a uh, Atlas Obscura. We've got this this mysterious this is a, uh, article from the thirty first of October two thousand thirteen, written by Jeremy uh, Fulberg. Like, so let say that's on a Atlas Obscura, and we've got the headline: "The Mysterious Pedra Mountain Mummy." Thirty-one days of ha- is like a, from a Halloween session. It's Thirty-one days of Halloween Obscura. This month. Celebrating Halloween. Da-da. Okay, so we've got this mummy, the Pedra Mountain mummy. Two prospectors were looking for gold and a shot of dynamite seemed like a good start <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah, blow things up that's the way to do things. It was the summer of nineteen thirty four in central Wyoming. Cecile Maine and Frank Carr set a charge in a glot at the foot of point of, uh, uh, the foot Get my teeth in they set a charge in a glot at the foot of a high point in the Pedro Mountains that stripped down the east side of the Pathfinder Reservoir The explosion ripped open the earth and revealed a cave Maine crawled into the cave a small place almost a coat closet tipped over it's a little, little box. there he found a, a rock ledge about two and a half feet above the ground no gold Duh. the cave was empty except for a mummy Mummy fibre remains. It looked like a small wizened man sitting on the ledge. His eyes closed, arms crossed. His feet tucked under him. His skin was brown and dried by the arid Wyoming climate. His mouth was drawn into a placid scowl. A lean Buddha with a misshapen head. Yeah. So have a look at this picture for those on the the video there yeah yeah it's like sitting in a bit of a meditative position there arms kind of crossed yeah look we've got a bit of a resting face okay it's carrying on with the article it was tiny perhaps six and a half inches tall or so sitting down it weighed just about a pound main and car may not have known it at the time but they held a real treasure in their hands The Pedra Mountain Mummy made the rounds. Two years later, a sworn statement by Maine shows the mummy belonged to Homer F. Sherrill. At some point, it was owned by Floyd Jones, who had a drugstore in Wyoming, town of Metitsy. A young basketball player who visited the town at the time later recalled seeing the mummy in a drugstore window. Jones sold postcards of the mummy to bring some additional cash. It was a sideshow attraction, as, it, as you can imagine. So people who have seen it and wrote about it. It's eyewitness accounts and cards and postcards and stuff. So yeah, in 1936, uh, a young Eugene Bashor convinced his father to pay the 25 cents for his son to see the mummy. So it says, uh, it says here that rushed, uh, rushed look at the mummy was the first. So you know, paid twenty-five cents, quick twenty-five cents tour, not even the fifty cents tour. So yeah, <laughs> probably just a quick flash, lift the curtain up, put it back down. <laughs> so the rushed look at the mummy was the start of uh, Bashaw's lifelong search for more information about it. Okay, so there's a nice picture there in the jar. Get some kind of idea of the sort of sizing of it the mummy was a tale from he said but but the mummy tale was far from over eventually it made its way to ivan goodman a car dealer in casper not far from where the mummy was discovered he showed off the mummy but now seated atop a wooden base topped by a tall inverted glass jar i guess that's the picture we saw Almost as if the mummy was on ke- in a cake display. It just kind of looked, it is one of them kind of things. <laughs> yeah, like a cake display. Okay. At some point, the mummy got x rayed. Oh, I've done some testing on it then. The images proved the mummy wasn't a fake. Ooh, okay. As soon as they hit it with a sign, an x ray. That's oh, okay. Its flesh stretched over the skeleton with visible vertebrae, rib cage, an arm, and leg bones. Goodman featured the mummy in car advertisements and apparently offered for display by others. The hype poster barked the claims. It's educational. It's scientific. It will amaze and thrill you. It's a pygmy preserved as if actually alive. The poster featured photos of the mummy and the x-rays of it. From left to right, Goodman's name was at the end of the tale with a blank line and filled in by whoever is displaying the mummy. So this pygmy was 65 years old when it dried, as the poster claimed. That wasn't actually true. It says here, but it was a fascinating story, one that could sell. Okay, so try and make it like it's an old man that's small or something. All right, it's made that bit up. There's him holding it. Oh, there's Casper. That's a good little shot actually. The X-rays, though, that's pretty impressive. I mean, that's, that's, that's it's, it's quite enthralling to sit and think about, really. You get, that you can find a tiny, tiny little person sort of thing. And then you've got to think it's not real when you find it, surely. You know, I've, I had a moment where I saw a, saw a cat from a distance. But the way it was sat and the light, and it was in broad daylight as well, it looked, it was black and white cat and it had a white, white chest. But it was on a corner, and behind was a bit of a mud bank. And there should have been a hedge there, but there was a bit of a hole in this mud bank behind it. And the way it framed it, and the way the mud was, and the shadows, it looked just like a little man in, like, a tuxedo with a top hat. You know? <laughs> like the size of a cat. And as I was getting close, like getting freaked out. As I was getting closer, like, no way. <laughs> and there's not a little man in a tuxedo with a top hat, like a foot high. There can't be... <laughs> It's <laughs> trick of the eye, they would have been a bit freakier. Yeah, the found one and they x rayed it. They've got the bones, so it's a bit weird, <laughs> anyway. It's far out, but that's what we've got on. on me. The article, okay? So, also, it's saying it's in a jar, it's also an item that could be stolen. The one with, yeah, it's stealable because it's small, you know, especially putting in a nice case as well. It's gonna preserve it. You can just grab that, swipe it. So, yeah, it's also. It could be stolen. The mummy was lost about 1950. It's not clear how. The press reports vary. Some claim Goodman took the mummy to New York City and lost it to a con man. Others say he sold it. Others say the mummy just vanished. Years later, University of Wyoming physical anthropologist George Gill picked up on the story, reportedly from his students. He says it's likely the mum was an infant suffering from. Oh, what's this word? Anisophilia. Anisophilia. That would do. Oh, I wonder if we'll uh, get the computer to read it. Will Hazel be able to hustle this one? There we go. Let's try it. Hazel, no, yes, no, yes, no. I'll oh, try oh, I've got to. <laughs> Give it some volume. What is this word? Encephaly. An encephaly. Are you sure? That doesn't seem right. An encephaly. An encephaly. Okay. (laughs) He says it's like the mom was an infant suffering from an an (laughs) encephaly. Oh, forget that. A defect that means that a fetus doesn't develop major proportions of the brain. Okay, so that's trying to account for the head deformity. The mummy wasn't a pygmy. It wasn't an old man, as they sort of made up in the beginning. It was an infant born with a birth defect, almost always fatal. Unusually, it was buried in a cave in a seated position atop a ledge. So that is a bit... is a bit wild, that. Yeah, the mummy sparked... Spot the legends of the little people. See, yeah this is where this is where I was interested in this for it was you know hit that little people term. You know, little folk. So Tales of Race of uh, tiny human beings described by the Indian legends of Wyoming. Okay, so they've already got tales of that stuff there, and then they find one that could be it. Alright. Plot thickens. It's possible buried mummies, such as the Pedro Mountain mummy, might have started and sustained such legends. Okay, so that could have kicked off the legend, but then again, who are they? See, it's it's not... do you know what I mean? It's like that sort of hinting at, oh, maybe finding them got people thinking legends of little people. Yeah, but they are little, and if you're finding lots of them, then it just kind of stands to reason, doesn't it? So, anyway... In 2005, John, Adolf, John Adolfi of uh, Cyra Cruz, New York, offered $10,000 reward for the mummy, claiming it would disprove evolution. Yet the mummy stayed hidden. Since Gil first heard of the Pedro Mountain mummy, he served as something of a, a living archive of the news and knowledge. Someone once brought him what they thought was a valuable mummy head. Google's research showed it was just an interestingly carved and dried hunk of vegetable matter. <laughs> oh, look it. Put his quids in there, but no. Nope. Turn it. Sorry, Doc. Dan Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I'm embarrassing. Easter. It still has that in uh, cotton tucked into a, a clear glow. Gil thought the Pedro Mountain mummy was gone, but he says he recently learned that the mummy may be okay, somewhere safe, but he won't say any more. Ooh, ominous, the search goes on. Yeah, maybe somebody swept it away because some of these institutions perhaps might want to hide it. Who knows? <laughs> I could point fingers, but we'll leave that. Okay, yeah, so I mean, yeah. So you've got this uh, misshapen head. It's kind of like a bit as if you kind of squashed your head a bit and it went pointed out at the sides. Like a bit, yeah. So it's strange. This is a strange one. So we've got that there, The Mummy of San, San Pedro Mountains, from that uh, article there. Ultra obscuria at uh, com. so yeah that's a bit of an unusual one but I thought I'll go on and see if there's any uh, see if there's any more then because that was a bit strange, like I say, currently it looks as if it's sort of missing might be with some collector like I say, maybe they're trying to preserve these things because if I had loads of money, I'd want to get these oddities and try and save them and you know and research and kind of make sure they don't get dumped in the ocean by some alphabet agency just, you know because some university freaking it. might undo stuff. Because that, that, that kind of thing happens. But anyway. Next up. We've got the pygmy graves in Idaho. So when they say pygmy. I think. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily referring to. The people called pygmy. I mean, it might be a sort of generic term. For like small people. And we might say the little people. Or the furry folk or dwarfs. I don't know. That's what I'm going to presume in this. But anyway. This article. Pygmy Graveyard in Idaho, it was posted the 13th of December 2001, by uh, uh, Denver Michaels. So, as the story goes, in the past, much attention has been devoted to the discoveries of um, diminutive skeletons in the ground uh, uh, around a white country, Tennessee, during the 1800s, collectively known as the Tennessee Pygmies. The tiny finds have their share of uh, detractors, as well as a few folk, such as myself, that believe the mysteries uh, warrant a closer look. What most folk familiar with the subject may not realize is that small or pygmy skeletons have been re have been recovered elsewhere, such as Kentucky and Iowa. So Tennessee, Kentucky, and uh, so Iowa. The Gentleman's Magazine ran a piece about a pygmy graveyard in the antiquarian news section of the August 1837 issue. So it's been reported back in the day. See, that sort of 1837 to 1860s kind of period of time, you know, the mid-1800s in America, there's quite a few finds that come up there. That's where you get some of the... uh, giant bones and giant axes and stuff that they found in that sort of time so there was some weird stuff being found and there's you know there's a lot of legends so it's fun to think about Anyway, moving on so right where are we so this is from the uh the magazine for the, the gentleman's magazine for about antiques okay so a short distance from Choc, Cotton, Iowa, uh, U.S. A singular ancient uh, burying ground has lately been uh, uh, a singular ancient burying ground has lately been discovered. It is situated, says a writer in Silliman's Journal, on one of those elevated, gravely alluvial, so common on the west of the rivers. Some of the remains of the wood still apparent on the earth around the bones. The bodies seem to have all been deposited in coffins. And what's more still curious is the fact that the bodies buried here were generally no more than three to four and a half feet in length. Okay. They're very numerous. That's not super small, is it? So three, three feet. To four and a half feet okay still small, small people not like equal, brick or tiny like the other one is it but it's just small people so legit Let's check it out they are very numerous so they've found lots and lots of them uh, it must have been tenants of a, a considerable sitter or oh, enough to sit. okay that that many numerous or the numbers could have uh, not been so great, yeah, so they must have had a big set because they found enough to, okay alright, a large number of graves have been opened the the inmates the inmates of which are all of this uh, pygmy race no metallic articles or utensils have yet been found to throw light on the period of the nations to which they belonged hmm that was um, that was from the gentleman. This is a, another reporting from the Centennial History of, of Costa Tong County, Iowa, published in 1909. They write The earliest accounts of speaking, you know, I'll share the page. The earliest accounts of, of speak of the mounds regarding even the Indian days as structures of remote antiquity. The missionary, Zeisberger, noted. 133 years ago. The numerous signs of an ancient race here. Okay, so he's saying only 133 years ago. So this is in 1909. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, so then they're talking like the late 1700s. Hmm, the late 17th century. Yeah, yeah, so... Wow. That's not that long ago, is it? Anyway, so your mission is one hundred and thirty-three years ago. Numerous signs of an ancient race here. He refers particularly to the cemetery containing thousands of graves near the mound, three miles south of Kostochka. The skeletons reduced to chalky ash. So the skeletons reduced chalky ashes were three feet again to four feet and a half in height, same, yeah, four and a half feet in height, okay. Smaller than Indian or mound skeletons, these pygmies have led to much conjecture. Thus far, no definite conclusions is recorded of any of the notices of the ancient cities of the Dead. The bibliography of Iowa Earthworks, prepared for the Smithsonian Institution, includes the notice of Howe's historical collections, Quoted from Doctor Hildreth's description of Silliman's journal from eighteen thirty-five. This also mentions an ancient cemetery of pygmies near St. Louis. Okay, there are skeletons were found uh, stone sepulchers. Okay, found stone sepulchers. What seem to also be uh, wooden coffins. Discovery of the pygmies' graves on the. Keen Bethlehem Township line is credited to J.C. Milligan. Hildreth relates, uh, relates that one of the Costaton's graves was found a skeleton five and a half feet long with decaying pieces of oak and iron nails. Okay. The school was tri- triangular in shape, much flattened at the sides and the back though not with a slant brow or flathead Indians as Indians seen in the West. The hole pierced in the back of the skull. A hole pierced the back of the skull. The bones were displaced. The skull being found with the pelvis from which herein the body was dismembered before burial. In the St. Louis cemetery found among the pygmies one skeleton of rather large development though not taller than the rest the legs were cut off at the knees and placed alongside the thigh bones Mm. Michener tells the the Nakekog tribes of the Maryland drying the bones of the dead and carrying them in wrappings from place to place as generation after generation sought new hunting grounds and that eventually their ancestral bones found a final resting place at the valley of when the last of the tribes became too weakened by war to move farther. This tradition was credited to a Nanticoke, Nanticoke convert who was with Zyberger. But it meets with skepticism, which has observed the uncertainty of the Indian memory of how commonly Indian traditions die out. As for instance, those southern tribes, as for instance, the southern tribes who retained no recollection whatsoever of De Soto's expedition. Okay, so I suppose it's, yeah, yeah, the same, mm. I suppose that's kind of muddy in the waters a bit for me. It's a bit like saying, oh, well, maybe, the I don't know. It's a bit like, for me, that's a bit, it's a bit wordy, and it's a bit. I know it's written years ago. But it's a bit like saying, "Oh, well, you might they might have forgot, or I don't know, I don't know. Maybe you can't take them seriously. I don't know. It just feels a bit. Ooh. Anyway, I'd skip past this bit. Yeah, so so yeah, the the fandom in in several places. Then so this, so that was that was from nineteen oh nine. Let's just skip to the end. It's quite a long. Oh, I've got our nails mentioned, to this? Yeah, okay. So, a statement appears in uh, Graham's history of Costatong uh, County that the Moravians minister from Pennsylvania visited ancient uh, cemetery here and remarked a custom among the Moravians of burying the old in separate rows from the young. That's kind of. That's curious, isn't it? Okay, it's separating. While this would explain the uniform smallness of the Moravians' graves, it does not explain the absence um, the absence from the missionaries' records of any considerable mor- mortality among the younger, or even, for a matter of fact, the elder members of the Moravian mission. So, this is saying, well, they found some small graves of the people in Pennsylvania. But they assumed that that was because, you know, they're, they're burying the adults and children kind of in separate rows, so they must all be children. But then they've got no records of saying, we you know, we found this grave full of small you know, small coffins. They're assuming they must have all been kids, but they haven't got any records of saying a load of kids die. Well, anyway, yeah. So I've seen that, and I thought, mm, I have to pull on that thread a bit. So, yeah, I mean, don't know. Don't know what to make of it. So, what were these Merivians? Let's uh, <laughs> let's check these out, then. It's Pennsylvania. Pygmies, the Merivians. They, they, I mean, they're within Wikipedia as well. I'd never heard of them. But they're in, they're in sort of Wikipedia. is just like, you know, it's regular people. And I'm thinking, well, what is this? Are they just... Is it... I'll you know, get this Wikipedia page up. Oh yeah, just just like regular people, just like a, an order of the church. This is our lamb has you know our lamb has conquered. That's like let's let us follow him, just like a church order. You know. So we check into him and see what see what they're saying. The Moravians. I've seen that right, Moravians or Unitas Fratum, the United Brethren. Uh, uh, German speaking Protestants. So it's like, well, it doesn't seem anything anything super special. They just seem like a regular order. The origins from uh, 1457. So I don't know. Was it like a. I don't know, were they protected then? Was it part of the church? These little people? I don't know. just thought was a curious link that there's an actual church order of some of these people from the. From the pennsylvania graves so what's what going on here what's going on so then so then i don't know let's go on to read a bit more about these Then from wikipedia I so say you can look these look these things up i was i'll have the links in the description of course you can look at this for yourself so that's why that's why it's the point of this is got to share each other's ideas gonna see what we can find yeah it says this this is what um yeah, it's a Protestant group then. It says it's one of the oldest Protestant denominations in Christianity, dating back to the Bohemian Reformation of the 15th century and the unity of the Brethren. So it's like founded in the kingdom of Bohemia, 60 years before Luther's Reformation. The church's heritage can be traced to 1457 in Bohemian crown territory, including the crown islands of Moravia and the Cilicia which saw the emergence of the Hossite movement against several practices and doctrines of the catholic church oh okay <laughs> oh that might be why they've disappeared <laughs> when up against however its name is derived from exiles who fled from the Bohemia to Saxony in 1722 to escape the Counter-Reformation, establishing the Christianity community of Herod, hence since it was also known in German as the Hörnhüter. Hörnhüter. Okay. You need to the Brethren. Hmm. Looking at the timeline, just a curious spitballing thought here, but looking at the timeline, then I kind of make it look like Maybe there was this ch- maybe there were these little people, maybe they're part of the church, then some reformation comes along, and they've gone after them, and they might have annoyed him in the past, maybe they just decided there was witches or imps or god oh, No, you, you know what I'm saying It'd be a bit like uh, who's tall, like this this sh- people that are taller than other types of people in the world, isn't it so it's like it'd be like just picking on them and going, "Oh, no, what are you about?" I don't know, wonder, just curious, like an excuse, especially if they've gone up against them maybe there was some fundamental philosophical difference that threatens me. I don't know. Mm, scary. Anyway. <laughs> so next, then. So, so next, I thought. What about some other strange encounters, little people? In fact, in fact, let me just... Uh, I've got another one coming up next. It's literally... I like this one because uh, from Britain. There's a TV show called Red Dwarf, and I didn't realize there's actual things called Red Dwarfs which we got from a mysterious universe? Let's get this link up, and I'm just gonna pop some music on. Make a quick drink. Back in a like, I don't know, 120 odd seconds ish. <laughs> but yeah, I'll pu- I'm gonna put some music on just for just for a couple of minutes, and then um, I'm gonna make my son a drink, and we'll get to this. We'll get to this strange encounters with mysterious people of Detroit. So I don't know. Check it out i suppose but anyway yeah i'm just gonna just gonna quickly pop some music on make a quick drink and then uh, we're back in a sec on the examines podcast liam martin a couple of minutes not be long Awesome. Welcome back to the Exile Minds Podcast. Me, Liam Martin. Today, 24th December, 2022. I carry on with these uh, articles about uh, little people. it be fun, this one. It's uh, got, got another one in Detroit. So, yeah, we've got a few more. Now. So that that One of them, <laughs> that article from back in the day was taking it as long. They really worded the way they do stuff. Anyway... Yeah, so let's check this then. Let me share this with you. So Detroit, more strange encounters mysterious people. Right, oh, okay, what's this? Oh, some playing in the background. That's all good. Right then, there we go then. So, strange encounters mysterious little people of Detroit? Question mark. That's what we're here for. Questions? Dig into things? Right then. As I mentioned, yeah, so throughout the world there's been, you know, nearly every culture tales of little people okay so that's so it starts the article you know like we've mentioned we've uh, got fairies, gnomes elves i think you know tiny strange people in folklore it's like what is this so we've got one here it says uh, it says uh in this uh, mysterious universe article far from merely a bit of folklore there have been actual sightings of these beings dating back from before european settlement all the way up to the modern day mysterious little people of detroit are one of those more bizarre stories of such creatures out there the tale has its origins with the ottawa tribe which inhabited the area that would then become Detroit, Michigan in the United States and revolves around the curious entities known as the Nain Rouge or Red Dwarf. Contrary to the image one may have of Detroit today, this was once an untamed wilderness populated by all manner of spirit folk of Native American legend And Michigan. Well, I, I do believe as well, I don't know, Michigan got a big lake, and not it? Water, water portals portals and water kind of tying together if you kind of look into it, it s- seems to somehow it's a bit of a thing mean little group trouble minus group people we talk to but yeah and Stargate think of stargate that's a literal water portal right but anyway moving on so yeah American age yeah Michigan I don't know I just wonder because I think there's powerpoints where some of these sort of the veil is thinner you know where there's points on the earth where I think things are more likely to be magical. Let's say, like those mysterious places that you get in the in a place in America where it's everything's supposed to go a bit backwards, and, like gravity's wrong or something. But anyway, yeah, you get these things, like, man- magnetic anomalies and stuff. But anyway, untamed wilderness used to be a Michigan area, and you got the uh, the Nain Rouge that used to live there. Or maybe still do. It was said to indeed be mischievous, uh, as many of us suppose the little folk and other traditions often think of them as mischievous. But also as protectors of the land, powerful nature spirits that are caretakers of the earth. With the coming of the first French settlers, the newcomers to the land brought their own visions of the mythology from their homelands. Of course, yeah. So if you've yeah, you're gonna. Going to project your own um, your own folklore. If you see any, do you see any sightings, yeah, known for these entities. They had one. Then the French settlers called lutin. So these were the red dwarfs they were calling a lutin, and if they'd seen them. So the French settlers are carrying on with the article. So French settlers uh, have fairy-like entities known as the lutin, which had its origins in uh, Normandy. The lutin long considered to be mean-spirited trickster spirits prone to prankish behavior seemed to fit perfect uh, for the strange gnomes of the natives the two traditions became intertwined yeah it kind of makes sense actually yeah you've already got a legend there that matches one that you've got from home gonna kind of call it that aren't you gonna get mixed together when I you meet mean, meek natives, they might take on the name of your thing, yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. Cultures blend, all right. Did a nice image there, looking a little bit is okay. So, you kind of red dwarf, red, kind of got horns though, and pointy teeth, so they look a little bit devilly, but yeah, looks definitely looks a bit dwarf like as well. Or, no, me, his big beard plattered together, too. Practical. Maybe it's a I don't know if a stereotyping is gonna upset with me. Maybe he's like a dwarf type it has to do mining, tie his beard together, make sure I don't get caught. I don't know, maybe he's doing labour. Who knows? But anyway, moving on. So you got yeah, it's a nice image of that the mythological creature. There's thought to be a European settlers thought that they were um mostly benevolent forest entities. And that's how I think of it. Being European, that's how I think of these things like sprites. Or wisps, or the kind of like wood elves, aren't they? The protectors of the land. I think that's sort of the job. I suppose I'm thinking of them a bit like elementals, but but I don't know, maybe like minions for the elementals, like little torpers for them. Anyway, the Nain Rouge were described as a small, child-sized humanoids with red old man faces, glowing eyes, jagged and yellow, rotten teeth and dressed in worn down clothes pointed hats and furry boots sometimes without clothing and covered in a matted reddish brown hair yeah, there's a bit of a far out one there but then there's like accounts of it There was this um the founder of Detroit said he seen one so I thought so this is the you know, story that got my attention the founder of Detroit uh... <laughs> claims isn't what's his name is uh Antoine de la Motte Cadillac. That will be where Cadillac comes from then. One of the earliest such reports yeah from starts in seventeen oh one. March the tenth, seventeen oh one a fan of Detroit. said this seem one so let's uh, <laughs> let's have a look then. I'm just gonna zoom in a bit. Ooh, a bit far zoom in for the video so a lot 1701 let's highlight that there Da-da-da. right yeah so the story goes with this guy he was oddly enough before he's had his Adidas encounter he had another odd encounter a mysterious fortune teller allegedly appeared with a cat on the shoulder as you do you know, a cat on your shoulder P- parrot on the other one if she's got a boyfriend but anyway Pirate and a fortune teller. That'd be, oh, that'd be the fun they'd have. But yeah, so it gets March the 10th, 1701. Founder of Detroit, Antoine de la Motte Cadillac, was approached by a, a mysterious fortune teller with a cat on the shoulder. And uh, she reads his palm and tells him he was destined to start a great city, but this new colony would be. Uh, you know, like uh, hit with great strife and bloodshed. She warned him to pay heed to the Nain Rouge and not to upset it, uh, or it would certainly mean his downfall. But he was sceptical to this and mostly scoffed at it. Okay, when the Cadillac finally did a, it did find his sitter. Okay, reportedly went. Out of his wife one night, a quiet walk overhead, two men complain. Overheard two men complain about the new city. One of them saying uh, he had seen a uh, le petite nan Rouge, you know, the little red dwarf, which was a sure sign of bad things to come. Oh, okay. So he's got his nice new city, and he can hear people going, Oh, no, just but you know, I have seen a bad omen, it's not good. At a time, this amused Cadillac. But soon after, he reported that a deformed dwarf-like creature covered in a blackish-red fur and with a beady-fierce red eyes shambled into view, and it had a crooked, horrendous teeth. Crooked teeth, just like the description, said. Cadillac allegedly bashed the foul creature over the head with a cane and told it to go away. But the fist—that's oh, the last thing you want to do. You were told as well, be nice to him, you bash him over the head with your cane. <laughs> you get charged. <laughs> anyway, the first and then just laughed and scampered off. <laughs> I love for you. After Cadillac was supposedly beset by a, a myriad of misfortune after that, eventually dying alone and penniless. So, totally came true. Okay, we've got another report. Creature spotted multiple times. Uh, same time, frightened farmer claiming that he'd seen one of his roof barn riling up the horses, uh, peering through his windows, stealing his chickens. Oh, what a little, little... I don't know. Chupacabra-like behaviour, that is. It's unbecoming of a dwarf. Anyway. Yeah, so the beasts on the 30th of July, 1763 on this day 250 british troops had amassed in preparation for a surprise attack on a rebel force made up of confederacy of native americans that had defied british post-war policy how dare you how dare you i've got my sample i'm not gonna do it though (laughs) defying defying british post-war policies in an insurgent uprising known as Pontiac's War, named after one of the fiercest leaders of the Ottawa, Chief Pontiac. Oh, nice, nice little picture there, that's a nice bit of art there, I like that. The war itself had developed into a brutal and ruthless campaign, so yeah, the fighting, it, uh, lots of blood. Yeah, okay, so. I was surprised to find a large contingent of 400 angry Native American warriors waiting for them and ready to fight. The ensuing battle would drive the British back and said to be so bloody and vicious that the creek ran red with blood, changing its name to a Bloody Run. Nearly 60 British soldiers died in the melee, including the commander for Sir Captain James Delia whose corpse was decapitated so that the head could be paraded around on a stick for all to see. Eyewitnesses included many of the soldiers themselves were claimed that they had seen one of the Nenru sitting upon the banks of the creek before the battle, as if claiming a front row seat and waiting with glee to witness the carnage. In the aftermath of the fighting, the fearsome little dwarf was then allegedly witnessed to frolic and dance amongst the corpses that littered the ground, and to wade about in the blood-stained waters of the creek. The creature's demeanour was described as being joyous and elated, as it as if celebrating the bloodshed. What? What? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to read about this one anymore. Moving on. We've got plenty to get through. That's creep it. Another one. Detroit 5 1805. so we let's do one more because this guy's creeping me out. Uh the red dwarf. Maybe we should move on. Maybe we should move on. Oh uh, no. Shall we? This is another one there? 1805. Nah, screw it. There's loads to get through. Right, <laughs> that's pretty creepy though. People reporting these things. Is there was any more? One from 1872. Uh, James Darcy claimed that she has a house and street. Yeah, okay, okay. Sightings. Okay, so there was one in 1805 in Detroit Fire. Uh, 1872, one woman named Jane Darcy claimed that she had uh, just come back from her house on Elizabeth Street from running errands when she encountered what she described as a creature with uh, blood-red eyes, long teeth, and rattling hoofs lurking in a darkened room. The encounter was reportedly so shocking to Darcy that she passed out and ended up bedridden for some time. In eighteen eighty-four, another woman claimed to have been savagely attacked and beaten as she walked along the street at the night by a beast that looked like a baboon, with a horned head, brilliant restless eyes, and a devilish leer on its face. Hmm. But then it carries on in the twentieth century. A malevolent little beasts or beasts were still up to their tricks. The creatures were sighted a few times before um Cited a few times before the nineteen sixty seven Detroit uprising, which was one of the epidemic uh, race riots that was sweeping the nation. So, oh, okay, so this is another disaster situation. Well, like a you know a clashing, the clashing. Oh, yeah, there's another. There's going to be some fight, like a charge. I wonder if it's like an energy topper. I wonder if it's like a topper that feeds on that stuff, or maybe it's they're interdimensional beings. Like, you know, Monsters, Inc. And then they're, like, trying to scare people to get... But maybe it's not they're doing the scaring. They're just waiting to feed on it. Like in John Carter. In John Carter. If you watch that movie, it's a few years old now. It's not really much of a spoiler. But, yeah, there's the baddies in there, the villains in there, kind of want to hang around war and kind of of want it to happen. So, because they feed on it. It's just, like, a form of energy. Mm, I wonder then. The omens, and you hear that about banshees, you know, in the folklore, where the whale... Mm, that harbinger of harbingers... What's the word? Yeah. <laughs> like warnings ahead of time. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so the... Because it was the... You know, they're talking about the bloodshed and he wading in it, and then, you know, the race riots... That's obviously going to be highly energetically charged. Talk about that magic and stuff, and uh, the psyche and Ooh. because in the in, in the magic show, we found through the research, it's it's discovered that um, with doing the testing with magic, the emotional charge seems to really what well, c- kicks it off. You know, in the, in the far side, the remote viewers talk about we've got really big charge on that stuff. That's how it seem to pull these things off sometimes. So that's pretty fascinating yeah maybe it's about um maybe it's about that about feeding on the bad vibes all right then okay let's uh let's move on to another one then let's get off the red dwarf and uh let's see what else we've got because there there's there's quite a few There's quite a few there was similar to the red dwarf actually there's this one as they're on it there's this one that's from they're called the Nisi. and Nisse. They're from Scandinavia, I think it's Nisse, or the Tomte. The Nisse and the Tomte or the Tomtenisi. I suppose he's like mixing them together, I guess. Or the Tom, yeah, different spellings. But yeah, they got these here that are like, like, t- <laughs> I kind of. I think I might have seen these on little cute little Christmas cards and stuff. But have a look at this, look. These tiny little like. A tiny little red-pointed hat on them uh, so it's kind of like a Santa hat but not so they're kind of like gnome hats long red-pointed hat but yeah the Nisi are Danish and Norwegian it's the Tomte. oh no Nisi is Danish Norwegian I've got Nisei as well Tomte for the Swedish, Finnish is Tomtu. but yeah it's a mythological creature from Nordic folklore today typically associated with winter solstice and the Christmas season they are generally described as being short and having a long white beard and wearing a conical or knit cap, like the pointed cap like the Red Dwarf. Mm. Red, or some of a bright colour, they often have the appearance somewhat similar to that of a garden gnome. The Nisi of one of the uh, familiar creatures of the Scandinavian folklore and he has appeared in many works of Scandinavian literature. Very similar the point of hat and the depictions are kind of similar. I wonder in the red again, temperament. Let's just quickly see what they were like, see if they were kind of mean there. I'm zoom in a little bit for the video. So, yeah, it says for the temperament, the missive of a pan Scandinavian term, it's a current Norway. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's terminology. I thought they might have a. Yeah. Okay. They've got a. Let's got a description of their appearance. So let's have a quick look at that. Yeah. I man, small man. El. Uh, small like an elderly man. They're a few inches to half the height of an adult man. Okay. So they vary in size. It's a few inches to you know half a man. So maybe like before, maybe like talking talking three feet ish. Okay. There's quite a wide range though, but it says um, here that they would often have a full beard, dressed in traditional farmer garb, consisting of um, follow a uh, woollen tunic, breeches, stockings. Hmm, it's not really saying whether or not what they like as people, dialects, the high temperament. I knew I'd seen that somewhere. Despite its small size, the Nisi possesses immense strength. They're easily offended by carelessness, lack of proper respect and lazy farmers. Okay. As a protector of the farm and a caretaker of livestock, the retributions for bad practices range from small pranks, like a hard strike to the ear, or more severe punishments like the killing of livestock, or the ruin of a farm's fortune. Observation of traditions is thought to be the most most important to the Nisi, as they do not like changing the way things are done at their farms. They are also easily offended by rudeness, farm workers swearing, urinating in the barns, or not treating the creatures well can frequently lead to a sound thrashing by <laughs> to a sound thrashing by a tomty or niece if anyone spills something on the floor in niece's house it is considered proper to shout a warning to the tomty below okay so you got to be really respectful of them there or they're gonna get okay they do seem <laughs> all right okay so this this serious they're serious all right then <laughs> <laughs> you don't mess with them Right, we'll jump in for a jumping for another one here then. So well that Nisi folklore. There was a there was there was a couple here that was a bit it was a bit weird, but I think I'm just gonna skip past that and go to these Native, Native American ones because in Native America I found that they had loads they got quite a few, actually. Um Native American legends of little people. They've got the Mohigans believed in these ones called the Makawarasug. You've got the Esakasone in Canada, believed in little people that lived in a hill in Nova Scotia. You've got the Shoshone. I don't know if I'm saying these tribes right, but I'll try my best. You've got the Shoshone tribe believed in little people called the Nimariga, who lived in the Rocky Mountains. These bows and poison arrows keep trespassers away. You've got the Choctaw, called then the Kosha. These people were feared and supposedly kidnapped boys to test them and figure out their nature. Hmm. The Cherokee tribe believed in three different types of little people, the laurels, the rocks, and the dogwoods. They ranged from being good and helpful to purely malicious. The Crow tribe called the little people the Nirumbi. They supposedly lived in... In the uh, prior mountains. So, yeah, I'm going to focus on just one of these stories then. For I thought I'll go for the Chakta legend. But it's uh, interestingly, it was not. this uh, The original, the first one I listed here about the Chakta, they called them the Kwane Kosher. But in this one here, it's, uh, it gives a bit of a description. But I don't know if it's a. Uh, if they're talking about a different one or the same one, but you know, just uh, should not call it. So yeah, let's have a look at the Native American ones then. So yeah, so we've got them in Europe, got in Scandinavia. We've uh, we've got them um, in the the Fairyland folklore. We've got these Welsh ones called the uh, tell or oh, the Welsh saying yeah. "Caled Teg." It's like a gen- generic term for you know the sort of fairy folk in the Welsh language. But it's like it seems to be so commonplace, and they say, See how similar them two were the red dwarf from the French, but then are they getting that from Scandinavia? But then when you go into the Americas and finding they've got the same stories and all described the same, seems a bit weird, doesn't it? You know, like they've already got it the same. I know they've intertwined the stories, but that's because they match, so I don't know. Anyway, let's have a look. at uh, see what the Native Americans are saying then because of the Europe stuff i a look at that. So let's so see what they're talking like. Because they're looking a bit like, like kind of guardian spirits to me. Like, you know, like they're testing the boys. Like the tribe dimensions they mentioned is testing, kidnapping boys to test them to see their nature. So they want to see if you're being respectful. Maybe it's like a sample. Maybe you kidnap a boy now and again, see if the tribe's still being good to nature. I don't know. To the idea, anyway, little people, Choctaw legend a long time ago in the ancient times, uh while the Choctaw Indians were living in Mississippi the Choctaw legends say that there were certain supernatural beings and spirits that lived near them. The spirits or little people were known as the Kawa Anukasha or forest dwellers. so like I said, I'm not sure if that's just a different spelling or whatever. But yeah, they've got the forest dwellers. These are pygmy beings that live deep in the thick of the forest. Their homes were caves under the large rocks. When a boy, child is two, three, or even four years old, he will often wander off into the woods, playing or chasing a small animal. When the little one is well out of sight from his home, the the Kasha, it is the same people, who is also, always on watch, seizes the boy, And takes him away into his cave and his dwelling place many times in this cave is many times his cave is far away and the Kwakakasha and the little boy must travel a very long way climbing many hills and crossing many streams when they finally reach the cave the Kwanakasha takes him aside where he he meets uh, he's met by three other spirits all very old with long white hair. Ah, okay, so that's what I find striking about that is that like that like, again, like I mentioned earlier, it's in passing. It's like the minions working for someone else, and that's like a grab to go and put you before somebody into it, before some kind of panel. To my mind, that's how I was just imagining it just then. Okay. So Let's, let's, let's go on with this article then. So, the first one offers the boy a knife. The second one offers him a bunch of poisonous herbs. And the third offers a bunch of herbs yielding good medicine. If a child accepts a knife, he is certain to become a bad man and may even kill his friends. If he accepts the poisonous herbs, he will never be able to cure or help his people. But if he accepts the good herbs, he's destined to become a great doctor and an important and influential man of his tribe and win the confidence of all of his people. When he accepts the good herbs the free spirits will let him uh, the secrets of making medicine will tell tell him the secrets of making medicine from the herbs the roots the bark of certain trees and treating and curing various fevers, pains and other sicknesses. This is the reason the little people take the boy to their home in the wilderness in order to train Indian doctors transmitting to them their special curative powers and to train them in the manufacture of their medicines. The child will remain with the spirits for three days after which he is returned. He does not tell where he has been or what he has seen or heard. Not until he becomes a man will he make use of the knowledge gained from the spirits and never will he reveal to the others how it was acquired. It is said amongst the Choctaw that few children wait to accept the offering of the good herbs from the third spirit. And that is why there are so few great doctors and other men of influence among the Choctaw. It is said that the little people are never seen by the common Choctaw. The Choctaw prophets and herb doctors, however, claim the power of seeing them and holding communication with them. During the darkest nights of all kinds of weather, you can see a strange light wandering around in the woods. This light is an Indian doctor with his little helper looking for a special herb to treat a cure for a very sick tribesman. So. Hmm. Seems like initiation stuff and checking people. And although, although it's right, I guess it, it's little people. It's like fun. It's like fun. But there's themes in these these themes in the stories, there's themes in there for me, that jump out about that kind of checking people I it's like initiation stuff. That's what I think it sounds like that to me. and that's, that's how the spiritual stuff is passed on through initiation and testing and you know I'll keep talking about the, what Aldous Huxley called the perennial philosophy. Which is seems to be the source material for all the religions, it keeps coming back over and over again and it's like it's like that same stuff. It's kind of got filters in there. Where you gotta that it's like asking you shall see if you're ready for it and you'll see it. But if you're not, then like I say, they say in there, most most of the kids don't even go through with the test. <laughs> they just leg like it. So but then it's hard to it's hard, man. It's Tough for a kid not to leg it in a situation like that, right? <laughs> but anyway, moving on. So that's so yeah. I've got them in Native America, like I say, there's loads of them. So if we we'll just focus on that one, but then do, but then I found this other article, uh, Journal News, where it's like, well, the the there might be some, maybe they do exist, or, or at least this particular one in Gogu. So let's let's have a look at this guy Imbugogu the hidden humanoid does Imbugogu still exist still still exists that indicates that we already know it exists what is this then Imbugogu. in his upcoming book between ape and human an anthropologist on the trail of a hidden humanoid Gregory IV details how he came into the conclusion that beings, possibly of of the species H. florin Saintis, known as Ubugogu, continues to live on flora's and offer, uh, offers eyewitness testimony. So he said he's seen him. Okay, so there's this some uh, humanoid that's thought to be passed away. Some hominids thought to not be here. Let's have a look. just highlight that for those in the video right fourth refers to this being as a ape man a non-sapien hominin based on the accounts of the lao people who think it's an animal that is like human but not human the two-hour scripted fictional feature the cannibal in the jungle presented on animal planet in 2015 was described as as such It follows the story of an American scientist who was convicted of killing and cannibalizing two colleagues in the jungle of Flores, Indonesia, in 1977. Branded the American cannibal by the press during his his trial, Dr. Timothy Darrow defended himself by claiming a, a mythic human ape creature was responsible for the murders. Animal Planet's dramatic story, is an imaginative leap inspired by real science. In 2004, a study in journal Nature, Big Journal, announced the discovery of the bones of an entirely new remarkable species of humans. fully grown adult stood only three... It, okay, a remarkable species of new humans. They call them humans. Fully grown adults stood only three feet tall yet they were able to thrive in the chaotic and dangerous world that surrounded them. The new species, nicknamed Hobbits, after the J.R.R. Tolkien <laughs> diminutive heroes, these real hobbits are... Real hobbits, it says in the article, referring to nature, these real hobbits are purported to have lived less than 20,000 years ago, which would make them the last of a species um. The last other species of human to live alongside ourselves, so they would have been the last the last ones killed off. Then, in the sounds of that, oops, sorry about that. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I know what to make of that. It seems that they're literally saying that the hobbits are kind of for real. <laughs> well, there was one a long time ago. There were hobbits. So going back to the Moravians earlier. Whether it was that the oldest protestant order in christianity and i don't know maybe they were no because they had them graves didn't they were really small maybe i don't know maybe they maybe they were folded into the church because the church have got these kind of people with cone heads as well in the catholic church i've seen them the really cone head people and they've got them sort of cone head hats on there is that to conceal it? Are these people with strange heads? So, is it like different hominid lines from back in the day? You know, maybe there's something different. Maybe they different properties. It's it's interesting to to think about. But moving on, I'll just finish this article off. But these hobbits f- fully go. Uh, but did these hobbits fully go extinct? So well, that's what I was just asking. Later, 60 Minutes sent a film crew to investigate the nature article while on site in Flores. The The crew on Earth, the local legend, these creatures might not have died out at all. The Animal Planet's scripted film, The Cannibal in the Jungle, follows the expedition of a team into the heart of Florence to investigate Dura's claim to find out once and for all if these legendary creatures exist. Personnel thought the overall presentation is entertained. That's what it's saying there. So, okay, duh, I describe okay all right then Ibugogu have uh, hair cover bodies, longish arms, big bellies, and protruding ears. They were said to walk awkwardly and could be heard murmuring in their own language and were said to be capable of, capable of mimicking human speech. When they could tolerate the ibu Ibugogu no more, the Flores Islanders drove the small people. To the in the direction of the caves, perhaps near Lang Biao. or perhaps they burned the survivors alive. In any case, the stories were probably told to keep, uh, yeah, keep the children, yeah, yeah, keep the children in in line. <laughs> you got some nice carvings there, but in the Telegraph 2004, Richard Roberts. Discoverer of the the Hobbit says the local tales suggest the species could still exist. When I was back in the Florence earlier this month, we heard the most amazing tales of of, the little hairy people whom they called the Ebu Gogo. Ebu meaning grandmother and Gogo meaning he who eats anything. The tales contained the most fabulous details, so detailed that you'd imagine you had there had to be a grain of truth to them. One of the village elders told us that Ebugogu ate everything raw, including vegetables, fruits, meat, and if they got a chance, even human meat. When food was served to them, they also ate the plates made of pumpkin. The original guests from hell, so to speak, or heaven if you don't like washing up, (laughs) as it says there, But yeah, I mean, does it eat a lot? I don't know then. So there's another one. There's another one. So we've got some, we've got Europe. uh, Native America. Sorry, uh, Rani Americas. They seem to have um, this one. um, What? Where's this from? We've got Africa then. We've got Europe covered. We've got the Americas. You know? Quite a few. Yeah, there's another depiction here. that's uh, just zoom in for the video there. That this one's got a lot of red coloring in the artwork there, like the red dwarf, and they've got the red hats. So that that red still still coming in. So, so let's see if anything, anything about sort of, if it's thought of it as good or bad. I think these ones might be one of them where it's like a, you know, let's like say a hominid that they've not found. Maybe it's not so much like a, you know, a nature spirit. This says at the bottom here that Professor Maud said that it was the wrong man f- It was the wrong... <laughs> said, it was wrong that the team who found the remains were unable to analyse them first. Because a, a, a team went in, led by... Um, they had a... What a search for the bones A planned. A political four, hour, four hours broken out after a leading in, Indonesian uh, paleontologist or paleoanthropologist with no connection to the fine last week borrowed all the delicate remains from six hobbits found in Lang- Langboa against the wishes of the local uh, locals and uh, Australian team members. Professor Tuku Jacob of Gadjah Mada University, who has, challenged, who has challenged the view that the Homo floresiensis is a new species, has previously t- previously taken a skull and bones to make a, comp- a complete specimen, a thirty-year-old female Hobbit, from the Indonesian Centre of Archaeology in Jakarta, where they have been kept. Professor Mulwad says that it was wrong for, that the Team who found the remains were not able to analyze them first. It is no not good that the Indonesian researchers nor the institution for Indonesian researchers nor our institution. Yeah, because they made the find. They're supposed to get it first. You know, if you you discover you're the first person to map a star that's not been mapped before, you get to name it. You know, the first person to discover a new compound in chemistry, they get to name it. Uh, it's kind of the rules. It's like bad form. It's not cricket, as they say. <laughs> So, yeah, an example there, academic, academics grabbing, trying to get credit for stuff, because they might analyse it first and find something incredible, and then, and then that will overshadow the initial finding of it, and then there will become a footnote in history, and they won't be the big name. So that's, that's how, how that stuff goes. So we have to do the research ourselves, so we can cut through it. Because something like that can cause things to get locked up and things don't get published, and we don't find out about it. So, just m- making a point there. But anyway, yeah, I've got a couple more, a couple more here I just Want to blast through? But I was, I, I had this idea to look for some that are uh, in places in America where I know where these people are. Now, as we'll cover the um, those from earlier. The little people of the prior end and um, the Rocky Mountains. They kind of cover Missouri. I've got Buddy there, uh, Oklahoma. I looked in that kind of area because it got all that Native American ones. I thought, see if there's any in Oklahoma. And I didn't find, I didn't f- strictly find any um, sort of, I didn't find any little people in Oklahoma. But I thought for fun, I did find this though. I found it because I know somebody's, this kid talks about this mystery bandit that comes. And I thought, well, that's like, like a little person, a mystery bandit or a little orb. That's kind of like a person. So then I thought, oh, I check, I check, check this, and I found that there is there is the spook light in Oklahoma. I had no idea about this, so I thought I'd give this one a bit of a a bit of a look at because it's kind of fun. Oh, actually, there's a a BBC covered it. BBC covered this one actually. There's a Joplin, Missouri, uh, talking about some some mysteries there with this spook light. But I'll get the BBC article up instead. I think I've got the link wrong. Just don't seem to want to do it. Oh well. I'll try this. Copy paste that. Just do it manually. should baba. The hyperlink's not working. Here we go. Paste that in there. I just want to sort of prove that it. Gets covered in these things. Get covered in a, a so-called mainstream, reliable news. <laughs> Just waiting for this to load up. Here we go. Yeah, no idea about this. Like Route sixty-six glowing mystery orb. Route sixty-seven. I've never heard of it. Never heard of it. Route sixty-six glowing mystery orb seen this one before it's on about the this the spook light in Oklahoma. It's, you know it says here the history is a bobbing about, uh, bouncing along the bobbing and bouncing along the dirt road in northwest Oklahoma the hornet spook light a paranormal enigma that for more than a century has um, been described as an orange ball of light and all that travels east to west along a four mile gravel road uh, long called the Devil's Promenade by the area locals. Uh, it's all this, there? let's have a look. So then I found that the BBC had covered this as well. So I thought, well, will look at this one because they might just go a bit more in depth and do a bit more research because they've got all that money. But let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we ain't got any money, have we? They got all that. All- they should be ashamed of themselves, MSN. All the funding they've got, and the staff. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so they're going to report. This one might be a good one, though. Just thinking in recent years, they didn't report too well. Anyway, moving on. The, the, the spook light. I know it's not quite a little pe- person, but I thought it was interesting it's a mystery bandit thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a look at this. So, yeah, the four-mile stretch, Devil's Promenade, Route six, uh, just off Route 66 northwest corner of Oklahoma a paranormal mystery puzzle as a spirit seekers uh, for more than 100 years mysterious basketball sized glowing orb, named for the former town of Hornet as it has been appearing in the night sky here since before 18 since 1881 no one knows its peculiar smouldering ball of light signifies where it comes from or what it's composed of. Even the Army Corps of Engineers have concluded that it's a mysterious light of unknown origin. It keeps reoccurring. I mean, I'm not going to go into reading the story. I'm not going to blast, you know. I just thought it was a weird one. Because I'd never heard about this. And apparently it's reoccurring all the time since 1881. You yeah, know, Army knows about it. Dinner, none. Got nothing for you. I just thought that's 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 strange. Nice picture here from 1970. The Hornet Spooklight, photographed in 1970 by area photographer Ed Craig, remains a mystery. And it's uh, apparently it's in Ed Craig's collection at the Dobson Museum and Home Archive. So yeah, there's it's not quite a little person, but but I thought it's got the supernatural edge to it. Right, because this seemed to be like, you know, nature spirits and stuff. And then, of course, if you're going <laughs> my si- to. My sister had an encounter where she's seen a little man and it kind of freaked her out, but she said he was green. And I get that old little green men thing. I thought, well, what does that come from? The little green men sort of trope. Because it's like, is it. It became aliens, didn't it? Not just gnomes and stuff. It's, you know, when she says little green man, I she's literally talking about a man, but then it becomes about, oh, I've seen an alien. It turns out, I had a quick look into this, and it says the little green men stereotype, a portrayal of uh, extraterrestrials, human-eyed creatures with green skin, with sometimes with antenna on their head. I thought, oh, yeah, the antenna, yeah. When was a kid, it used to be aliens that got antennas, but maybe these little green men are like the little red dwarf things with the little horny things, like antennas. You know? I've kinda thought, noticed that. I thought that was quite striking. Anyway. Share this again. Yeah, so you little green men. So where does this come from? The term is sometimes described as uh for gremlins and goblins. That's what we thought it was. The mythical creatures, known for causing problems on aeroplanes, mechanical devices, you know, gremlins. Okay, so Today, the creatures are more commonly associated with alleged alien species called the greys, whose skins are, in fact, not green, but grey, right? During reports of flying saucers in the 50s, the term little green men became popular usage uh, in reference to aliens. Because of one classical case, Kelly at Hopkinsville, citing in 1955 two rural Kentucky men describes a supposed encounter of metallic, silver objects, somewhat humanoid looking aliens, no more than four feet in height employing journalistic license and deviating from the witnesses accounts, many newspaper articles use the term little green men in writing up the story, so that's where it gets crossed over there but then I thought well you know you've got to have a look, see where these things come from okay that kind of makes sense but maybe they are interrelated maybe they are that the, you know, the, um, you've got the, you know, the, these creatures, like, like the Bigfoot thing, what is that? Is that an alien? Is it a cryptid? Is it what? You know, and these things, are they earth spirits? And of course, now we've got to the alien thing, Little Green Men. We've got the famous, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer famously made a tiny little skeleton that they found, you know, did a documentary. You uh, at what was it? The, uh, Atkin- Atacama Desert skeleton, Dr. Stephen Gray, you know, did a feature length for a documentary, and so this is from um, the Guardian 2018 because they covered it. A mummified skeleton, the saying of a baby girl found in the Chilean desert in 2003. So this tiny little skeleton as well, but again, it's got a deformed head, kind of triangular shaped, a little bit like um they describe with, you know, some of the earlier of folklore accounts from around the world is unusual pointy shaped head and perhaps that's the pointy hat thing as well perhaps the hat's covering the pointy head a bit like the cone heads in, in the catholic church or maybe they mistake the pointy head for a hat and i thought that was quite a, an interesting interesting little link there they kind of go together don't they sort of thing the sort of aliens and mythical creatures and you know, as McKenna said, maybe disguising themselves as UFOs so it's not to alarm us. And is that thing of Jacques Vallée saying, passport to Magoni, it's like aliens aren't aliens, it's like the more spiritual, and, as in the UFOs, the way they move. So it's say something to think about. i find only quite enthralling to think about this stuff. And I find it especially uh, f- curious... And fascinating that when this stuff come out with uh, Stephen Greer doing this serious documentary, also at the same time, I found out that uh, in the 90s, Russia had one that was very, very similar. There's a Russian case that was, where this woman is supposed to have had this tiny little skeleton very, very similar to this. And, I, and I, at the time, I looked up and found the documentary. Well, you know, to see it was, it was a real Russian documentary. So let's... This from Russia Beyond. If you want to look these things up, say links in the description. Yeah. This is the uh, Alioshenko And the Alioshenka and the Kaish Dwarf. The alien from outer space, question mark, or mutant boy. Same sort of thing. Same kind of depiction. Real or not. Say, I don't know. In the summer of 1996, a small Ural city of Kaishitma, um, 1.7 kilometers east of Moscow, witnessed a bizarre scene. A retired woman, Tamara Prosverina, was walking down the street and and uh, she uncovered the blanket, and uh, she was talking to it. She was telling us, "It's my baby." Short. Uh, it was called uh, alioshenko Short for Alexi, but never showed it. the locals recall. Prospinera actually had a son named Alexei, but he was grown up and it was a and in 1996 he was doing time for theft. so we decided that the woman had gone nuts and was talking to a toy thinking it was her son. and she did indeed have mental illnesses and several months later had to be sent to a clinic and treated for schizophrenia, right? So the thing in the blanket, however, was not a toy, but a living creature she'd found in the woods near a well. Okay, so the story goes, this thing was like 20, 25 centimetres tall, humanoid, a brown body, no hair, big protruding eyes, moving its tiny little lips, making squeaking sounds. According to Tamara Nimova, um, Prostavirina's friend who had seen, eyewitness have seen it in an apartment, uh, who told later, later told Komonoska pradavada his opinion, oh, it was an onion shape and didn't look human at all. His mouth was red and round and he was looking at us, said another witness. The daughter of the, um, it says uh, Prostavirina's daughter-in-law According to her, the woman was feeding the strange baby with her cottage cheese and condensed milk. He looked sad. I felt pain while looking at him, the daughter-in-law recalled. So there's witnesses about this. You know, there was a documentary about it. I think, uh, yeah, obviously, the skeleton would have got took away, would have thought, but, yeah. Accounts by local officials differ. For instance, Vyane Chenslev Nagoski... Mentioned the dwarf was hairy and had blue eyes. But Nina Yalazrina, Petrova's uh, other friends stated he was standing near the bed with big eyes. Well, that's not that much different. Big blue eyes. One said big, one said uh, She didn't mention hair. Others say it was hairless. Hmm. Okay. The other thing these people... Are, the only thing these people agree on was that it looked like a real alien. OK. That's what it says in there. On? on the other hand, the testimonies of the people like Natchikovsky and uh, Glazrina are dubious. Both were drunkards. Oh, OK. I wonder who these were, whether you get into the story. OK. So, the, OK. So the family saw it. And then of the, couple of drunken friends that were making stuff up. That just kind of makes sense, getting on the action. In fact, yeah, yeah. most of her friends died of alcoholism, it says here. So, <laughs> they were both drunkards as well as most of the uh, prostitutinators. Other friends later died of alcoholism anyway. Journalist Andre lawshack who made a film about the dwarf, well, this is the guy that did docu- the documentary Then, Okay. Quoted the locals Perhaps uh, it was an extraterrestrial humanoid and this case uh, made the mistake of landing in um, Khrushchev. Sounds about true. The city with a population of 37,000 was not exactly paradise, even not taking into account local alcoholics. In 1957, um, the face of the first nuclear disaster in Soviet history, plutonium exploded at Mayak, a nearby uh, secret nuclear power station threw 160 tons of concrete led into the air. The third most serious nuclear accident in history behind Fukushima in 2011 in Chernobyl in 1986. The region and the atmosphere were seriously polluted. And it said sometimes uh, fishermen will catch fish that have no eyes or fins. Maybe that was a thing. Then. Maybe it was deformation or something. Now, I found it curious that it was very, very similar to the one that Stephen Greer had found in the desert. And it's curious that they've got very similar shaped heads to some of the folklore stuff. And it's curious, you know, is it a, it's that thing again? Is it is it linked to aliens? Is aliens and these folklore creatures linked to the spirit stuff and the religion stuff for the angels and gods or the elementals it's like... There's so many questions. So many questions. But, yeah, I mean, I just I just wanted to get another show out this week. I've had this one floating in bed for a while. So I thought, let's have a... It's a fun thing, you know. Christmas Eve. We little ditty people. But who knows? Who knows? My sister could have seen stuff. You know, I've seen weird stuff. I reckon my dad was a, a little bit telepathic as well. We're Celt- Celtic, we are, so... Could be in there. Got the gift. Got the sight. <laughs> Could be. But yeah, keep your eyes peeled as well because you can miss stuff. You miss stuff. People miss stuff anyway. Just walking to normal stuff, walking down the street. An you know, eyewitness testimony is rubbish. <laughs> A lot of the time. So I don't know. But I think shocking things, you kind of stick in your mind, don't they? But I don't know. Something like that I'll probably stay with you. But do your research, folks. That's what I say. I always say that. So why I put the links in as well. Obviously, check this. Yeah, I actually check this stuff out sometimes. Even just test it. I used to do that with, with some people like years ago, like Alex Jones. I was testing him for ages. they keep checking all these documents. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I thought, it's got to be crazy. But. The Alex Jones was right. Jaw's getting a bit fat. So do, you, do your homework. Do your homework, honestly. It's good for you. Exercise your brain. Make it live longer anywho Liam Martin another show Little People Exile Minds Podcast 24th December 2022 so posterity half past three I've just gone there 3.37am for me so you know you know this. but yeah I just thought I'd try and get this uh, get another show out get this Little People show done and then uh, yep I'll be back soon loads more content coming up this year so you take care of yourself. Uh, I might get another one out before Christmas. If not, definitely Don't one be before the new year. The the take podcast. care of yourself. You know what they say. Uh, check uh, it for uh, yourself. Is than See you next time. exile minus podcast. Liam Martin. Links in the description, Discord, Cheer, and all that. Got new server, so check it out any comments about what you think about this stuff it's always nice to take it easy see you later okay. I'm I I've given up all chance it. of peace. I made my mind my as my as my Share my dreams, my wishes. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I'm damned for. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They set me on a path from which there's no escape. What is my, what, what is, is my, my sacrifice? I share my dreams with ghosts. I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy. I defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life. I make the sunrise I'll never see. Oh, the ego that started this. Right? Or what do I sacrifice?